good to see you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good to see you tonight. Look at your other neighbor that you didn't choose first and say, you look very nice tonight. Now look at the person behind you or in front of you and say, it's church time. And look at someone else and say, bring your Bibles to church time. Hey, in all seriousness, if you are visiting with us tonight, we're so thankful that you are here. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, there should be a, a small brown ESV or a pink one around you somewhere. Go ahead and take that. That's our gift to you if you do not have one. Uh, we believe that it is supremely important that you see that we don't just make up what we talk about here. I don't come up here every week and give you my opinion. I don't come up here every week and give you my thoughts. I, I want to give you the word and uh, the reason for that is really because we know that only the word has the power to transform us. Only the word has inerrant authority to speak into our lives and to move us towards the one who loves us and has saved us. So uh, if you do not have a Bible, uh, I would recommend either getting one. Uh, if you uh, if you don't own one and financially you can't uh, you can't get one, you can take one of those, or you can just talk to me and I'll go with you to pick one up. That would be great. I would be privileged to do so. It's important that you have it in front of you. Uh, if you get it on your phone, I would recommend flipping it on airplane mode while you look at it, just so that you're not distracted with uh, anything that has to do with the internet. But you can get God's word on your phone, and uh, and that's that is perfectly well um, uh, as well. We just want to make sure you know we're not making this up and this is not just my own words. Uh, if you are a guest, we're so thankful that you're here. Uh, if you don't believe exactly like we do or uh, you have not had an experience with the Lord or some of the things that we talk about doesn't exactly make sense, we're just thankful that you're here uh, and we would love to explore deeper waters with you. So if you have questions, please know that myself, Tyler, our associate student pastor, Allie, our girls minister, or any of our volunteers are here to that end and we would love to talk with you. Uh, as we got started tonight, we were in here practicing, or I wasn't practicing, the band was practicing, and uh, John was about to walk away. And do you remember how we prayed for John because he was having back surgery? Do you remember that? When he did uh, his back surgery, he had something go wrong with his, his, the nerves in his leg, and he had to do another surgery uh, on his leg, and apparently the incision was on uh, the back of his calf, and I didn't know that, so he was standing right here, and he made some kind of smart aleck comment that you shouldn't have made, you shouldn't have done that, but uh, I, I slapped the back of his calf like pretty hard. And John, like, immediately, like, 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 you know, that thing that you do when you're in enormous amounts of pain. And that's when I remembered that he had an uh, incision right there, and I felt like a moron. So uh, that's how we got our night started. Before that happened, uh, Dean was beating on the drums, and what happened? Like an explosion back there blew a circuit of some kind and smelled like fire and flame and everything other than that. But uh, we're good now. We're excited that you, uh, you're here and we got it together. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're in John 6 tonight. Uh, we've been in this Love Well series, which I have enjoyed so much. I've loved getting to study for it. I've loved getting to teach you uh, throughout this exhaustive topic on the idea of love. What we said week one is that God is love. If you're looking for love, you've got to go to God. Look here. The world is full of false gods that desire and work at luring you in to sell your soul to them. But this is what we know. It's bankrupt. It's broken. It does not have the ability to actually carry the weight of your soul. If you look at the world, 
dive in, you're going to see that every direction you gaze at, there are things there that are attempting to get you to buy into the lie that they have the ability to fully satisfy you, and they don't. So look here, popularity, that's a trap. That's a trap. Some of you think, and in your positions right now, you think that, man, if you could just get a little bit more popularity or if you could be sustained in the popularity you right now have, then you would be completely satisfied. That's broken. That's a broken well. That's, that's not going to do it for you. Some of you think, well, my parents struggle financially, and, and if, I could, if I could get some more money into our home, or if my mom and dad had more money, then, then we would be satisfied. That, that's a broken well, too, because there are billionaires in the world that will go to bed tonight wondering what is wrong with them and why all the dollars that they've attained in the world cannot satisfy the inward cravings that are in their souls. That's, a, that's broken. That, that is bankrupt. It does not have the ability to sustain the soul and you can do that with pretty much every single thing that you chase I am uh, I'm 38 days away from getting to marry the love of my life and I absolutely cannot wait Rachel we get married in 38 days and man I've just locked down locked on that girl but this is the truth this is the truth she does not complete me nor do I complete her I don't have the ability to save that girl and she doesn't have the ability to save me she can't sustain me all the days of my life into the next world and that's not what she's intended to do nor am I intended to do that for her God has brought man and woman together in the marriage relationship which we'll experience in 38 days to symbolize and to mirror what the gospel looks like but but that doesn't mean that we're each other's gods or that we have the the ability or the shoulders broad enough to carry the weight of each other's souls we can't so even in the most significant human relationship that I have in my life, the relationship I have with Rachel, she can't complete me. If I put that pressure on her to complete me, the weight of my soul, if I put that on her, I set her up to fail and myself up to be very frustrated. Nothing in this world will satisfy the depths and the inward cravings and the nature of your soul. Nothing. And the more you go to those things and the more you attempt to find satisfaction in those things, the more empirical evidence that you're going to get back that exclaims before all the world, that's bankrupt. That's bankrupt. God is love. God alone is love. He's the only thing that could satisfy us. We have been born to glorify Him by enjoying Him alone forever. God is love. And what we said was, after that week, we said that we, we are sinners, and we have belittled his glory, and we have gone in directions that we should not go, that even in our souls there is a broken mechanism that instead of going towards the one who makes us, we've gone away from the one who makes us, constantly trying to figure out how we can live for our own glory. And God, who doesn't have to, but because he wants to, loves us so much that he sends Jesus Christ to pay the punishment for us so that in him we might have life, and in his resurrection, we might be raised as well. We said that God is so loving towards us. We have been loved so well. And because we have been loved so well, because God has poured, the Bible says he's lavished his love upon those who are his. So if you're saved right now, maybe that's what you need to hear. Maybe that's why you're here tonight, that, that God has lavished his love on top of you. If you chase that word all the way back to its roots, it means this idea of over the top, under the fountain, ridiculous amounts, incredible, beyond our, our ability to even understand, he has lavished it upon you. 
Have you ever been out in the middle of a rainstorm in a summer night when you look up at the skies and it's unrelenting in its ferocious power as the water beats down on your brow? Anybody ever been like that? That's the idea of lavish. That's, that's what God's love has done for those, are his, for, for those of us who are his own, for those of us who have come to Christ and repented and believed in the Son, that he's lavished his love upon us and that nothing that you will ever do could take that away because when Christ went to the cross, he not only took away your track record, but he took away the penalty for the brokenness of your soul and replaced within you his righteousness that you would forever be able to stand before God blameless as his adopted son or daughter. That this is the good news of the gospel, that there is no sin in you past present or future that has more power than the cross of Christ that God has complete victory in the work of his son and that he will receive the glory for what he is doing in us forever now if some of you are sitting here and you're like well if God has so loved me that he's taken away all my sin that means I can do whatever I want Paul would say absolutely no Shall we sin knowing that grace has won the day? We should not. In fact, that's contrary to what God has done. In drawing us in, in replacing within us his righteousness for our sin, in giving us this blameless status before him, being overflown with his love, we are now privileged to chase him forever, knowing that he is the only one that satisfies. So the rest of our lives we'll spend ringing out and walking towards and sprinting after the one who so loves us and that's a privileged race that we run because we've been so loved what we said week five is that we have now a responsibility to love other people and that started with mom and dad and sometimes that is tremendously hard sometimes it is extremely difficult to love moms and dads and and sometimes that's because they're broken and you're broken and sometimes that's because they're right and you're wrong get that sometimes it's because they're broken and you're broken, and sometimes it's because they're right and you're wrong. I cannot tell you how many times when I was growing up, I looked at my dad and I'm like, man, such a moron. I'm so right here. And now looking back on it, I realize I don't think I was right one time. Because my dad's just smarter than me. Just knew more than I knew from the time that I was little. That your moms and your dads pulled your little chubby baby hand off the stove when you were trying to lay it down on a hot burner. Right? Would anybody say that they're hateful for doing that? You're running through the kitchen, baby fat rolling all over your chubby little hand, you're about to slam it down on the burner, and mom's like, No! She yanks your hand out. Would you look at her and be like, Man, you're so hateful? Mom would be like, Go and try it. Burn your hand right off. You see, as we grow, we continually think that we're smarter than them, and I think what we all need to realize is that oftentimes they're right. And it can be tough to love when they are right and you're wrong, but we so have been called to love them and respect them and honor them and cherish them and lift them up. And we said that we have a responsibility to love our siblings. That's extremely hard, yeah? There's nothing easy about that. Because sometimes they're not smarter than you. And you're like, hey, preach it. My sibling's dumb. If you're saying that and they're in the room right now, just you can counsel later. Sometimes loving siblings is super hard, yeah? 
It's super hard. They're annoying. They're frustrating. They give you a hard time. Older brother, older sister's always picking on you. You feel like you're, you're, the, you're the, the underdog. And if you're the, 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 the little one, or if you're the big one, you think that the little one's so annoying, man. They just never stop. Look here. If you are older, if you're an older sibling, look right at me. A lot of the ways that your younger siblings will understand the grace of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is through the way that you treat them. So older siblings, don't take your responsibility lightly because your younger sibling, they will come to know in a more profound way the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the way you treat them, love them, and stir them towards Christ. You mess that one up and you'll own it. You mess that one up and you'll own it. Younger siblings, you have a responsibility to learn from, to love after, and to respect your older siblings. Stop trying to tick them off. Point them towards Jesus in the way you respond to them. Follow well, lead well. It's our calling. We are called to love well. We get out of siblings and we talked about how we're called to love the church. This one is extremely difficult because... We're 150 people in here, and we're all busted. And I'm leading it, and I'm the most busted of us all. So, so there are times when we these grounds, and it gets extremely difficult because we're breaking, because we're struggling, because we fail, because we aren't as patient as we need to be, because we don't act as graciously as we need to be. But look here. God has set this institution, the local church, on these grounds to minister to this area, to expand and to make disciples all over this area, and to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't do that if we don't learn to love each other. We're commanded to do this. If God has so loved us, brothers and sisters, may we love one another. May we give mercy to one another. May we be gracious with one another. This is what we are called to do. And last week we said that it is imperative that we love our schools because you go to school with your peers, other people in your classes, and they don't know of the riches of Jesus Christ. And you do. You do. So you have a decision to make when you're in class. I'm either going to live for the glory of God and I'm going to tell everybody about the Jesus that I have found to be better than this world, or I'm going to live for the glory of myself, and I'm going to keep the best news in the entire world to myself, and I'm going to let other people go on without knowing it, and that is selfish, and it's ridiculous, and it has no part in the Christian's life. You do not live your lives for you. You have been so loved. God has wrung his son out for the glory of his name and your salvation, and now you are called to love in such a way that other people would see him not about you we got to get over ourselves if we're going to be obedient we got to get over our own comforts if we're going to be used we got to get over our own personalities and our own preferences if we're going to love as God would call us to and tonight I want to talk about loving the community now I love working with teenagers I love you guys I wouldn't want to be anywhere else my favorite group right now and the reason really is because I believe you guys are so incredibly gifted and I believe your minds are so sharp and I think a lot of times culture discounts that and sometimes we give them good reason to discount that for for the most part I would I would say that empirically
guys are, you guys are doing and are going to do big things in your generation. I, I believe that we together, we're going to see some big things occur. And I believe that we, we are in this time and in this point in human history. And with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can make a huge impact. So I love getting behind this group and just prayerfully putting wind in sails and encouraging you and stirring you and pushing you. But, but tonight, right as we get going here, I, I want to tell you, you can, you can have an incredible impact on your community. J-Town, Pickerington, uh, you can be in Newark, you could be in New Albany, you can be in Gahanna, you could be in Pataskala. You could have huge impact. But they're adults. They've got weird tendencies and they don't listen to me. Look here. God can use you, and I hope that you see that tonight as we go. In John chapter 6, we're going to look at how God, um, through Christ, does ministry. And prayerfully, we're going to glean a couple things about how we are to walk obediently, how we are to love our community, and how we are to approach truth. We're going to have to deal with some things that at first seem heavy, but I believe you'll see how important and imperative that they are. I'm just going to read uh, the first part of 6 so we can get a setup for uh, the last part, which we'll use from the TV. But um, 6.1 says this, After this, Jesus went away to the, other sea of Gal- to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because this, they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So if if you're not a believer or you don't read your Bible often, Jesus at this point in time is is starting to ramp up his ministry in five chapters will be within the the last two weeks of his life. And and what he's known for before he dies for the sins of the world and resurrects in victory, what he's known for is being a miracle worker. He's a prophet, he's a teacher, and he's a miracle worker. So, So by the time we get to this place in scripture, there are a lot of people following him because They're either sick or they want to watch the sick be healed. So a large crowd is gathered. Verse 3, Jesus went up to the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him. That's dirty. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii. If you've got a Bible or you like to take notes, 200 denarii is about eight months' pay. And that's what they're saying. It's going to take, it's going to take eight months of revenue in order to pay for uh, the feast that we are obligated to provide these people that want to learn from you, Jesus. And, and, and this is where the story goes. 200 denarii would not even be enough to buy bread for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Underline that in your Bibles. Put a smokestack right there. Put an exclamation point. Remember that one. We'll come back. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Underline that one as well. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftovers, the fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets, underline that, with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign, when he had done that, this indeed was the prophet who's come into the world. I love 15. Perceiving them that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again 
to the mountain by himself. He knew that it wasn't his place and it wasn't his calling and it wasn't the purpose behind him being sent to be an earthly king. He was called to be the suffering servant, the one who would die for the sins of the world. And he took these five loaves of fish and these, these or five loaves of fish, that's not right, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish and he breaks it and he, he feeds the multitudes, 5,000. I have, I have long desired to be a fly on the wall when this event goes down. But can you imagine Jesus? He sits down, he prays, and then he just starts breaking food and it's enough to support and give to everyone there and they all eat their fill. And Jesus provides for this group exactly what they need at that time. Now, he's gonna turn the corner. His goal here is not just to feed people. It's not just to give them what they need for the hour. He's not just trying to meet a physical need. You need to understand something. In our world, if you are simply after meeting the physical needs of people, then you're not reaching maximum impact as God has called you to reach. Look here. We are called in compassion, yes, in love, yes, to provide, to care for, to love on, to, to meet the needs of the people around us. But if we do not give them the gospel and we know that their well-being and their soul's condition depends on the gospel, that is outright disobedience and it will not go further than a simple act of kindness that has no power to transform the life. Look, look here. There are institutions all over the world that can be a humanitarian. We can, we can give our money and we can sign up to, to simply give people what they need in this life. But if you know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and on Him and Him alone may a man or a woman be saved, then it is imperative that you point people towards Him. So what we're going to see here, Jesus, He draws them in he earns relational equity. He, he feeds them, and by doing so, he receives a platform to speak truth into them that he knows their souls will rely on. It's crucial that you understand obedience does not just mean meeting a physical need. To meet a physical need alone when you know that the gospel is true, that's shameful. Like, could you imagine... Could you imagine getting on a plane and going all the way, halfway across the world to someone who's never heard the gospel and meeting a need, maybe that's food or water, getting back on a plane and coming back? Never one time talking about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, never one time pointing them back towards the gospel. What did we do in that place? We did nothing that will have eternal significance, not if there's not a voice somewhere that cries out, this is the gospel. Romans says, how might they believe if they don't hear? How might they know if no, if no one tells them? His job here is not simply to meet a physical need, but he's going to go beyond that. Check out this verse that we read, and I've told you to underline, and then we'll go on. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. How many like to eat? How many like to eat a lot? How many of you throw down? Some of you are like, I eat seven meals a day. And they're big. You go to McDonald's and you're like, uh, I'll take nine McDoubles, please, and a McChicken. Anybody ever do the McGangbanger at, uh, at McDonald's? Anybody know what a McGangbanger is? McDouble, McChicken, McDouble. Eat it. Put it together. Eat it. These guys are like, I'm all about it. Some of you like food, and that's cool. Some of you are like, I'm a normal human, and that's cool too. Um, there are 5,000 people 
in the group. Now, there's 150, but, but here, but 5,000 people. And Andrew brings five loaves of bread and two fish. Clearly insufficient, yeah? It's not just like, it's not like you're just going to get a couple bites. You're getting crumbs if you're here. And God takes what this little boy has, and he expands it for the masses. Now, as we talk about this, and as we talk about your part in reaching community for the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is, this is the question I would start out with. What do you have right now in your hand that God might use? What are your five loaves and two fish? Now, think about your life. And if you need to, close your eyes. Do you think this boy woke up on this day and said, five loaves of bread and two fish, that should feed 5,000? Do you, do you think he woke up that day and said, I'm going to bless thousand people no that was his lunch but when he was presented with an opportunity he gave it and Jesus did the miraculous through it and blessed the multitudes and who receives the glory for doing the miracle Christ yeah look here all of us right now all of us you have something in your hands there is something that God has given you and he's saying, if you will give it back to me, I'm going to use it in amazing ways for the glory of my name and for the expansion of the gospel. It might be an activity. It might be a talent. It might be a passion. It might be money. It might be time. It might be energy. It might be relationships that you already have. It, it, it could be as simple as you're going through the line at a grocery store at a restaurant and a, a conversation strikes up between you and the person that's checking you out. Not like that, but, you know, ringing you out. And, and you've got the time. You've got the time, and, and you know that God's calling you, and you say, you know what? I'm going to give this time. I'm going to have this conversation. I would ask you right off the bat, what do you have that's in your hands right now? What does God have you in right now? You might say, well, I mean, I, I like to do this, but it's kind of small. Five loaves of bread and two fish, that's kind of small, right? In the face of 5,000. But when Jesus gets involved, he does the miraculous with what we believe to be small. And do you know why he works that way? Do you know why he takes what we have that's small and makes it huge? It's so that he receives the glory for the miracle and that we don't get the credit. So that we can rejoice in our God who does it all. And we can fall at his feet and worship his name that no one would mistake it for us. If you're saved... You not only have been given blessing, but you've also been spiritually gifted. And now, you take this, this small thing, and God can use it. God used five loaves and two fish to set up a beautiful picture. And that's what we need to read. We're going to go on to verse 22. If you track that story all the way through chapter 6, you see that Jesus sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. He stayed behind to pray. While he was praying, uh, a storm broke out on the sea. The ship was, uh, that the disciples were in was uh, about to drown. They were about to drown, and Jesus comes walking on the water, and he calms the storms, and they get to the other side, and this is where we pick it up in 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And this is what I love about this. You start to have experiences with the Lord, and you're going to start seeking him. Some of you in this room, you've been a part of our family for weeks, maybe months, and you're not a Christian yet. You don't know the Lord yet. You've never had, a, had an encounter with him yet, but you are very curious about what we do here. Very curious about what this is. Very curious about the one that we sing to and love and pursue. So you're seeking him. Because when he starts to show off and you witness that, man, that's engaging. Look here. It is no small thing that 150 teenagers gather here every Wednesday and hear from God's word and then lift their hands and worship and pray for one another and consult with one another and love on one another and grow and worship and sing and learn and sing and learn and sing. That's no small thing. There are some people in the room, regulars, there are some people in the room right now that are here because they're watching God work in your lives and it's very engaging, very exciting. They're seeking Jesus because they too have had experiences with him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come from? Or where did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now this is, this is curious, and he's setting something up, and he's drawing an illustration, and if, if you're careful, and if, if you're looking for it, you may see it tonight, and it, it might really work in a profound way in your life. He, he gives the five loaves and the two fish, which, which is an experience that those people no doubt never forget, but it engages them. It, it gets them, it, it focuses them, they see something, and now they begin to seek the one that provided it. So they come to the other side of the sea, and Jesus says, I know that you're seeking me, but you're not seeking me because, because you want to know me. You're seeking me because I provided you the loaves, and that's okay because I'm going to tell you who I am and why I'm better than even the bread that I have provided for you. And he says, you should not be seeking the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. What's he talking about? That's what the people ask. So he continues to explain himself. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you would believe in him. You need to understand that, that you would believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? What, that, that we may see and believe you. What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who is this he? It's Jesus. For, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, if you don't see that right away, it's okay, because they didn't see it right away either, which is why Jesus continued, and he says this. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always, this bread of God that comes down to give life to the world. Give it to us always. And Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm 
I'm the bread of life. I'm the one you look for. Look here. There is a world outside of these four walls. You look right at me. There is a world outside of these four walls, and today they perish. Today they perish because they do not know him who has been sent into the world. And you do. You do. And it should bother you that they don't know. That should trouble you. And in fact, if it doesn't, then I pray that as the text speaks to you, you'd be shaken out of that. That that apathy for the world, that, that disheartened apathy that you have for them, that you would shake out of that. Because God is doing something here. And he's given his own son, who's the bread of life, who gives to us what our souls not only desire, but what they need. And you know him by name. Not only that, but you've been gifted and blessed beyond measure. You have something in your hand. You've been called to give it. It's the reason that this summer during Care Week, we're all going to gather together and we're going to sleep in the church and we're going to spend seven days loving this community, pursuing this community, meeting a need for this community, but not just for, not just for charity, not just for goodwill, not just for humanitarian efforts. It's because we believe that this is true and because we're willing to do anything to help other people see the beauty of it. That's our calling. This is our responsibility. It's the reason that six weeks later, some of us are going to get on a plane and fly to Cambodia. Who's going to Cambodia? Raise your hand. And Carter, you're going on a mission too. Carter's back here. He did announcements. Where are you going, dude? Portugal? It's the reason they're getting on planes and they're flying to the other side of the globe and they're spending thousands of dollars. Every one of them is spending thousands of dollars to go to the other side of the globe where people don't live like us, don't look like us, don't act like us, don't, don't spend their lives like we spend them. And we're going to be loving and caring for, and for what purpose? That they would see Jesus because he is the bread of life. That anyone who comes to him, they're not going to be hungry. And whoever believes in me, they shall never thirst. So we talked in the beginning about how every area and every facet of life is attempting to get you to buy into the lie that it can satisfy you. But that's a broken lie because nothing outside of him can fully satisfy you. But Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, they won't hunger anymore because I'm that good. Anyone who comes to me, they're never going to thirst again because I'm that rich. Because my mercy and my love and my calling is so sweet. And so satisfying. Grab onto that. But I said to you, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. This terrifies me and it terrifies me for this reason. I've been called the pastor and love this family. The under shepherd, under Pastor John, delegated this portion of our flock to love and care for. And I know that in our flock, in our family, sitting here even maybe, that there are people who see Jesus every week, who read from his word, who talk about him with people, and they don't believe. And I beg God every week, give me something. Give me something that will help them see. Reveal yourself to them. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see how rich those words are? I'm the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me, they're not going to be hungry anymore and they won't find thirst. I'm that good. And whoever comes to me, I'm never letting go of. They'll be mine forever. The world. You have the opportunity to touch the world with what you have in your hand and what you've been gifted with in your soul, offering it up to Jesus and letting him do the miraculous. Jesus he doesn't just feed them and count that as sufficient. He tells them the truth. The truth that he's better pointing them back to him. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing that he has given to me. I love that line. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day and I'm going to land this plane. Whoever believes, they will have eternal life. Now, I want everyone to look at me. I'm going to ask you an important question. Do you believe that to be true? And don't raise your hand and don't, don't nod up and down just in your own soul, answer that one. Do you believe that to be true? Specifically, the fact that there is an eternity that waits beyond our borders. That at the end of your life, however long that may be, there is an eternal existence that waits out there for those who believe. And equally, there is an eternal existence that waits out there for those who don't. But notice that for those who don't believe, it doesn't say eternal life. And that's because when we do not believe, when we remain in sin, the Bible equates that with eternal death, not eternal life. The process of dying, but never actually reading, reaching the finality of it. D this right here, though, is important. He says, whoever would believe that they would receive eternal life, do you believe that to be true? Now, if you believe that to be true, and you know that it is the bread of life, Jesus Christ, that, that will give it to those who believe. And you know that right now people don't believe and they don't know. But eternal life, it stands in the balance. And you do nothing about it. You are hateful. You are not gracious. You are hateful. You are not obedient. You are hateful and cruel. You're not walking in the way that he would have for you. Right now, you have been given something in your hand. And you've been given a life to live. And if you would stop thinking that the world revolves around you, and you would stop acting like everything is about you, and you would start to give it over to God and simply pray every day, God, how might you ring me out today for your glory? How might you use me today for your glory? How might you purpose me today for your glory? What conversations do you want me to have today for your glory? Who do you want me to talk about, about you today for your glory? Who do you, who do you want me to impact today for your glory? Who can I pray for for your glory? How, how can I expand the good news of the gospel for your glory? Does it mean that I'm going to go on a mission trip and I've never done that before? Good, go! Does it mean that I'm going to give an enormous amount of time and money that, that I don't really know where it's coming from or how I'm going to do that? Good, you need to give it and you need to go because this is the only investment that will pay. This is the only thing that we have that will gain something beyond the lives that we live. 
You pursue money, you pursue stuff, you pursue materialism, and let me tell you something, everything you buy, everything you own, and everything you purchase, it'll become the future stuff drive uh, drive throughs and junkyards and, and garage sales. None of that stuff will last. You won't take any of it with you. But you pour your life into impacting people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one day you'll go on to be with glory. And I try to put this picture in front of you constantly. When you go there, you might just look left and right and see people that God used you to impact. You might look left and right and you might see those who God used you to impact. And that is an investment that will last forever. That's a life that means something. So four things that you might be able to do. Four things to help with this. As the band comes, you guys are good. Number one, provide for the needs of people. Provide for the needs of people. I'm not telling you that justice is wrong. I'm not saying that compassion shouldn't be given. Surely we need to do that. It's important. It's important. Someone who thirsts, someone who's thirsty, give them cool water. Someone who's hungry, give them bread. Someone who's in slavery, purchase them out of it. Someone who's bullied, Sit with that individual and boost them and lift them up. Surely provide for the needs of people. But don't stop there. Don't you dare stop there. Sow gospel threads into your conversations. Talk about Jesus. Because if they don't have him, they have nothing. You're simply making them more comfortable in their misery. Point them towards Jesus. He's the bread of life. Serve people through the... This is the institution that God has established to make disciples all over the world. So, so instead of just doing it by yourself, get a brother or sister in here and serve people, meet needs of people, and point them towards Jesus together. You're more effective as two than you are one. And lastly, take advantage of things like Care Week. It's money, it's time. Look here, there's not a dollar that you could spend better than investing into the kingdom. And there's not a dollar or a moment that you could spend better than loving people towards Jesus. If you would understand that the world is not about you, and you would understand that there's something in your hand that you can give right now. You have something that you can give. And if you could give it, if you would give it, God will use it. And it will be an investment that pays for eternity. You can change. You can do this. God has empowered you. Let's go. Let me pray. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the blessing of this day, God. I thank you that you have allowed us the privilege of joining you in mission, that you are calling sons and daughters out of this world, and that you've given us the opportunity to join you in that. How beautiful. God, I pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would motivate the souls of these students to get going, to, to move, to, to, to pursue you and to love you publicly as they serve their communities. God, I pray that everywhere they go, they will be about your glory and they will be about your gospel for the good of those that they interact with. Help them, help me to walk in obedience. We worship you. You're the God who saves. You're the God who calls. You're the God who justifies and the God who sends. 
So send us tonight, God. Put convictions on us. Put weights on us. May every student in here as we worship be praying, God, where might I go? What have you put in my hand? And how might I be obedient with that? And as students pray, may your Holy Spirit interact gently with them, spurring them towards those things that you've called them to do. We worship you in this place, Jesus. You are only, the only one worthy of it. In your beautiful name we pray, amen. As we, uh, as we sing, you're always welcome at this place to pray. If you'd like someone to pray for you, certainly, uh, certainly be welcoming to that because they will be all over you. Uh, you can lift your hands, you can worship, you can pray where you are, but I would just ask you to go out with these couple questions. What does God have in my hand and what is he calling me to do with it? How might I glorify him through the proclamation of the gospel, through what I have in my hand? I love you guys. Let's stand.